0: I'm Daniel Frey and this is the Daniel Frey.me talks a podcast for anyone who wants to become or is already a developer. If you like to stay up to date with different technologies, learn from experts in the field and help you improve your career further then this podcast is for you. I also invite you to follow us on Daniel Frey.me So let's begin. Right, so hello everyone, and welcome yet to another episode. So today with me, I have Mishko. Mishko, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, how's it going?
1: Hi, I'm, I'm Mishko. Uh, I'm the currently CTO at Builder.io. Builder.io makes a headless visual CMS. Uh, basically allows you to drop a component into your code base so that you can drag and drop and have your marketing team uh, you know, update the pages. And um, yeah, I've previously done other things. Um, You might know me from this thing called Angular and AngularJS. And I've also done um, code quality talks in the past. So I had a... Uh, rich history of, of things on the web.
0: So actually, guys, uh, the way I got to know about Mishko was uh, from all the recent online activity about Quick. Uh, I am a, you know a sworn user of React and Vue, um, and I never really uh, got connected too much to Angular. The best code that and the best thing that I've done with Angular was in the really the old version, the Angular JS, and that was when I was working at the bank with a lot of uh uh legacy code that we had so to say um and yeah i mean mishko you have done a lot of things uh, right in your career you worked in uh, different places and uh, and now you said you're working in builder and so you guys are drag and drop cms uh platform uh what you said um and I'm I'm actually curious, you know, um, you have been in the industry for maybe a decade already or maybe even more, right? I think it's more right than that. A, no, I, more I, than I, that.
1: at Google alone, I was for 16 years. So I think it's coming up to two decades.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Shame on me. Shame on me for not <laughs> doing the research. So then that's a crazy amount of time and you know you have been here Um, and we we want to basically in this uh, in this talk we want to talk a little bit about the current state of the web and we want to also understand where it's headed and you know Recently, um, if anyone has been online, they heard a lot of things about um, ChatGPT. They heard a lot of things about Copilot and they heard a lot of, at least I heard a lot of, about QuickJS. Now, before we get all the juicy stuff um, about uh, all those interesting topics, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. Where do you see right now the web? What What is kind of your perspective on the situation where we're at? um what maybe a little bit of pain points you see uh and you have experienced yourself you know given the the whole amount of time you've been in the in the industry yeah so you know when i started with
1: angular js uh that was i want to say over 10 years ago probably something like 13 years ago at this point <laughs> And the web was a very different place. There was uh, basically no ESM modules, right? So you couldn't do dynamic imports. Uh, there was just script tags. Everything was in the global space. And so um, there was limited amount of JavaScript, basically, you could put on a page because it was just hard, not for any other reason. Um, and so what happened in the last, you know, 10 years is that the web got kind of better at including JavaScript. We got imports, we got a require in Node.js. And it became much easier for third parties to create uh, reusable code. And so we saw this, right? Like the NPM has grown tremendously. And whatever problem you have today, there is an NPM package that you can uh, install and will solve your problem. And what it all this means on the end is that your applic- our applications are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's a good chart you can go check out on, I think, Archive HTTP, or is it HTTP Archive? And it just basically shows um, the amount of JavaScript that has been, uh, the average number of JavaScript that is sent to a particular page. And this line just keeps going up, 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 and up. And I think... Uh, You know, people will say like, oh, why can't we just go back to the old days? But I think the way to think about it is pages today are just a lot more interactive than they were back then. Uh, So it's not that we're getting JavaScript and we have still the same crappy pages. I think our pages are getting more and more interactive. Our end users are expecting higher and higher fidelity of the web. And all of that is results in a huge amount of JavaScript that's being sent to the browser. And this huge amount of JavaScript uh, basically turns into very slow startup performance for the websites. And if you talk to anybody who's running e-commerce sites, they're very aware of this because slow sites translate to much lower conversions, much lower uh, purchase rates and so on. And so at the end of the day, for e-commerce site, uh, it's money, right? And so if they can uh, make the site faster, they'll make more money and he, Amazon really knows this. And so they spent a huge amount of time and effort to make sure that Amazon websites are extremely responsive. Uh, but even Amazon is not perfect. Um, and if you go to Google PageSpeed, like Google Show has a, a kind of a interest in having fast uh, web, because they kind of also recognize that the faster the web, the more more people use the web and the more people use the web, uh, you know, the more profit there is for Google. And so Google created this thing called PageSpeed, which industry is using to kind of see how they're doing. And even Amazon is not anywhere close to 100 on page speed. It's like in the high 70s or kind of uh, you know high 60s, low 70s kind of a number. Um, And so it's just interesting that even the people who deeply understand this particular problem and deeply understand that this, on the end of the day, results in money and therefore are highly motivated to improve the situation, even those folks are struggling with improving the status quo of the web.
0: I see. I see. Right. So basically, um, if I understand correctly, you're saying, um, hey, back then when I started uh, 20 years ago, um, there was just like really simple websites. Uh, And those websites were, you know, not really requiring a lot of integration from the user, those animations and all kind of interactions and making uh, uh, this button do like this crazy stuff. And and we are now in much more progressive um, times uh, where the user expects everything to be immediate, fast and looking fancy. Um, And uh, now the, the, what it caused is, 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 more JavaScript, and especially with the the popularity where you said that uh, you know ES modules that you can split your code easier and and share it all across, it increased our bundle sizes, and those bundle sizes are being downloaded currently depending on your solution, um, either by the server or either by the the user themselves, um, which requests to the user, but everything comes within one big package, uh, which is uh, being delivered by our bundles. And... You know, bundle sizes, um, in general, this issue, if I'm thinking about it out loud, has been tried to being tackled by different, um, you know, different elements. Like, for example, uh, some try to do the server side rendering. So, yeah, it doesn't change much the bundle size, but then you get the HTML, um, you know, faster and uh, everything is kind of... uh, Maybe better. Uh, and then uh, also, we're talking about uh, Webpack. So, Webpack, what they try to do is the tree shaking, for example, to make your bundle size smaller and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, also hearing what you're saying that. Size and 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 and, in every, and, and in this situation size does matter, <laughs> but also in general the 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 network bandwidth that is being used um, serving those large applications they are now um, you know matter and we have like companies like Google that uh, you know you can go on Lighthouse and check what's your performance that that tell you how good and how fast is your website um, and that equals money because. The slower your website, the less, um, you know, a user will probably will to convert uh, into a purchase or whatever. Right. So understanding this issue and and in general, understanding where we're at um I just, I also would like to hear uh, maybe a little bit your opinion on kind of where we're at in the state today uh, with what we have. So you know, I mentioned a couple of solutions uh, to to the problem that you mentioned. Um, and where, so where is your headspace on those solutions basically? What, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. So um, I think it requires a little bit more background. So I, I, let me digress for a little bit here. <laughs> If you go back in time, the way websites were actually built is that we had a server-side rendering technology like PHP or something like that, and it would send HTML to the client. And then on the client, we had something like jQuery, which would uh, attach behavior to our UI. And it turns out that sending HTML to the browser is by far the fastest user experience, like bar none, right? Uh, But the interactivity isn't there because like HTML is static. And so this is where jQuery uh, comes in. And so that was actually a pretty good solution in terms of performance because jQuery would be proportional to the complexity of the interaction rather than the complexity of the overall site. And so as long as there were only a few interactions on a page like a menu system or like maybe make- rotating the product from a different angle or something like that, uh, the amount of JavaScript was relatively low. And so the problem with this particular approach is that developers hate it. And the reason you hate it because you have to do everything twice sometimes, right? Like you have one mental model, which is HTML in PHP. So like, uh, you know, that's a very different mental model, right? And then you have a different mental model of J- uh, jQuery, and so going back and forth between the two is just kind of a pain. I was like, well, and sometimes you have to actually implement everything twice because sometimes a page needs to originally render uh, on the server. Like let's say a to do task has to render on a server. So that's PHP code. And then again, it has to render on the client because, you know, the user has added an additional item to the task list and now the jQuery has to do it. And so from a developer point of view, that's a not very good experience, right? Cause Things overlap, I have to think about like, am I in a PHP world? Am I in a client world? And so on. And so uh, AngularJS was one of the first frameworks uh, that kind of introduced this idea like, like forget it, like, let's just do everything in the browser right? And so you essentially entered the world of client-side rendering. And so now your your PHP doesn't do anything. It just sends a blank page. And then everything happens in the browser. And that's a wonderful uh, developer experience because there's only a single mental model that the developer has to deal with, and they don't have to duplicate work or anything like that. And so um, client-side render frameworks are great for long-lived applications like Gmail. Right. But they're not the best for e-commerce because in e-commerce there's two problems, right? One is you want SEO. So you want to, you know, search engines has to be able to see it and you don't want to show a blank page to the search engine. And the second problem is like, you, you want to have a bookmarkability and you want to like, um, have navigation, et cetera. And so all of those things are not really what CSRs are good for, clients that are entered frameworks, right? And so um, we have workarounds for this particular problem. And the workaround is basically we do the server-side pre-rendering. Actually, let me back up a second here. Um, CS, the other problem with CSR is that it takes forever to boot up, right? So uh, if you navigate to Gmail, let's say you have a several seconds of like a welcome screen before the Gmail actually shows up. And the reason for that is just, just too much JavaScript. Like the huge amount of JavaScript has to be downloaded and executed for it to render the UI.
0: And ah, so, so that's why they have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't think of it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So this particular problem exists everywhere. And as we discussed earlier, you really want to have fast responses, otherwise people don't buy stuff, right? So uh, people needed a workaround. And the workaround is that you do um, server-side rendering, you pre-render the HTML, and basically, instead of showing you a welcome screen like in a Gmail while you wait for the page to render, they actually replace the welcome screen with a picture of your inbox, but you can't interact with that. Well, it's not a picture, but it's really in the form of HTML, but you can think of it as a picture, right? Like the idea is that here, I'll show you what the page will look like. You can't interact with it. And in the background, I'm going to execute all of the JavaScript. And when the JavaScript is ready and everything is done, I am literally going to replace that picture with the interactive site, right? And that is literally what hydration is. Now, people got a little smarter since then and they said like, well, instead of replacing the picture completely, how about we try to reuse the elements inside of the DOM that came from a server, right? And so there is a little bit of reuse happening, but that's just a tiny little optimization. Like the the correct mental model is I'll show you a picture in the form of not actual JPEG, but in the form of HTML and tags and all that stuff, right? I'll show you a static picture and then... I'll boot up the JavaScript, and uh, then when the JavaScript is ready, I'm going to do a switcheroo. And if I did everything right, hopefully you won't notice anything. Right? That's literally how the web works today. And uh, you know, it's it got a performance issue, right? The reason we were doing server-side rendering to begin with is because we didn't want to have a long um, loading screen before the page shows up and so now what we've done is we basically replaced the loading screen with a picture of the page but now we have a long time to interaction
0: and that's you know like i'm hearing all those things and the way you, like you describe them is so simple first of all kudos to you because like i really like the explanation um that you gave um and i'm a little bit more curious to talk just a bit about this solution with the picture, because I was looking at uh, you know different server-side rendering options like uh, you know Next, and we have also uh, I don't know like uh, In View and Svelte, what they use SvelteKit and all those you know different uh, things. Um, but one that was more interesting, maybe uh, that was slightly a different approach, was the approach of Remix, uh, which. You know, recently I haven't heard much on the web, but I am curious to hear a little bit more. What do you think about their approach if you're familiar with?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can talk about that. So Remix is the same exact thing. Uh, Let me show you a static picture. Oh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm using the word picture to kind of get the point across, but it's actually HTML with, you know, styling tags and all of this stuff, but it's static, right? Just like a picture, it's static. And so uh, Remix does the same exact thing. It, there, is, there is no difference. The difference with Remix or they, their value add or, or what do you want to call it, is that um, they make sure that the HTML they sent uses um, things like form submit buttons. And because it uses form submit buttons, these buttons work even if JavaScript hasn't shown up. So your animation isn't present. Uh, Your full on interactivity isn't present, but if you click on a button, that button will just do a form submit to the server and therefore um, it will still work like it will be kind of reduced interactivity, reduced uh, user experience, uh, but it will still work. And so this is called uh, progressive enhancement. And the idea is that, like, once we have the full-on JavaScript, then we can do, you know, fancy things and make it faster or whatever. But until the JavaScript work uh, shows up, instead of staring at a blank picture that uh, a picture that, that doesn't do anything, we actually have a sort of interactive site. And I say sort of because it's not equivalent to the JavaScript being present. And so uh, the value of, of Remix is basically this this form of progressive enhancement
0: okay well then i am first of all i understand a little bit more uh from what your explanation was then a little bit more about the picture and uh, where it goes and where we're at then today now i want to take the stage and talk to talk a little bit more about the recent uh cool framework that uh you know i heard about which is Quick JS.
1: So it's just quick. It's not JS, by the way. But yes, let's talk about quick.
0: Um, I always say JS whenever <laughs> I say I say framework because yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad then. No, no, no. No worries, no worries. Because
1: I guess I'm. Uh, there is Angular JS and there is Angular, and it's super confusing. I know. Uh, but let's talk about quick. Um, I think before we talk about quick, we need to kind of make a particular problem clear, and that is that. Um, Existing frameworks have hydration. We talked about it, right? Hydration is basically the equivalent of the framework booting up, right? And if you don't have SSR present, uh, hydration is, again, go to the Gmail, you staring at the welcome page is the boot up process, right? And that boot up process is present and that boot up process can take multiple seconds, uh to happen especially on mobile when uh you are uh, in slow network it's not unheard of to take upwards of 30 seconds for a site to kind of become fully interactive in other words fully boot up and the you know you can dig into the reasons why it is and i've been thinking at it for a long time a- anyways the the conclusion from all of these digging uh, is very, very simple. And that is the site performance is proportional to the amount of JavaScript you're sending to the client. It's that simple, right? The more JavaScript you send, the slower it's going to be. The less JavaScript you send, the faster it's going to be. Like it's kind of intuitive. And if you think about it, right? Uh, But it's, it's kind of funny that it has taken so long for us to kind of realize this, but it really comes down to the amount of JavaScript you're sending to the client. And so, a lot of frameworks are trying to minimize the amount of JavaScript being sent to the client. For example, there is Astro.js that does this, Um, Solid.js does this to some degree, Um, Svelte does it to some degree, Um, uh, Astro and 11T. I kind of mentioned already, Astro, do it through islands. Uh, Basically, these are all different kinds of strategies where we are just kind of trying to figure out how do we not overwhelm the browser with all of this JavaScript? How do we delay the particular thing? (laughs) And so there is a... (laughs) Well, I don't think that's a solution. Like people say that, I don't know, I think some of them are actually serious. Many of them say it uh, jokingly, but that's not a solution. You know, it's not a solution. Like you cannot stop writing JavaScript because it means that our our interactivity of our sites will be rolled back the way it was 20 years ago. And I don't think our customers will want that, right? Like they want interactive and fast websites, right? Like we could give them a fast website, but like at the end of the day, flashy is flashy. And I like flashy, right? When I come to a website. So I don't think that's that's realistic. Like, again, if you look at how, I don't know if you remember MapQuest, uh, before Google showed up. Yeah, it was a, before Google Maps. There was this thing called MapQuest. And the way you would get around is that you would click on the edge and it would show you, you reload the page and it would show you a tile next to you. And then Google Maps came along and you could drag the tiles and it was like, right, complete... Mind blown. Like what the heck just happened to my, like it was obviously um, What year was
0: that, by the way, did people use MapQuest? Uh, late 2000s,
1: like maybe 2005, 2008. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, the, the point is we want our interactivity, right? Or well, this isn't going away. So to say write last JavaScript is unrealistic. So, So the way, the the mental model I have is that we have this huge amount of JavaScript. That's a given, this is not going away. So that's, it, it is irrational to try to fight the idea of that the developers should write less JavaScript, that's a no-go in my world. Um, and so the only thing that's kind of remains is how do we not overwhelm the browser? How do we not send all of the JavaScript all at once and then execute it all at once in the browser, right? Because the problem isn't that a, a website has too much JavaScript. The problem is that we send all the JavaScript and execute all the JavaScript all at once. And notice what I keep saying. I keep saying an execute. And that's because hydration, which is just really a fancy word of saying client-side rendering, right? A client-side rendering, of course, requires all of the application to be present. It's client-side rendering, like it renders on the client. So you have to have all the application present. And again, hydration is just like a slight improvement on client-side rendering. So
0: Yes, it's that step though that no no nobody really sees, uh, right? Because you, uh, it's that render like in React that you see that render method that that you have the you know your your in parentheses that you put uh, you know in those blocks that is yes. gonna say uh, user dot name and that's gonna tell you what is the user based on your uh, yeah, I do so- set state that you have.
1: Yeah, we can look at look and look at React, but it's like all the frameworks really work the same way. So it's not like I'm picking a React here. Uh but yeah, you have a render method and you start with a root component and then React says, okay, well, what does the root component look like? And then it says, oh, look, I have child components. Let me descend into the child components. And those components have child components. And you know, let me descend again. And recursively, you go and you walk the whole tree of the application. And as you're walking the tree, you're learning about where the component boundaries are. You're learning about what the com- uh, the DOM elements are. You're learning about what the listeners are. You are recovering the state, the set state, state methods, uh, the hooks, the client effects, when to run them. And so... You the, the, the framework has to execute all of the application in order to uh, know where the listeners are, in order to know where the effects are, in order to know where the component boundaries are, in order to know when I click here and I do a set state, what exactly should change. All of that information uh, needs to be recovered by the framework. And the way the framework does this is that by executing the application from the very, very beginning right?
0: So basically, yeah, you, you have everything ready for you before you actually need some parts as a user, right?
1: That's right. And that results in huge bundles being downloaded to the client. And so, you know, there are people who complain that reacts too big. I think it's irrelevant. I mean, it's, what is it? 70 kilobytes or something? I don't even know what it is. I think it's irrelevant. The, the thing that kills you is not the framework itself, but rather that the application ends up being literally megabytes of JavaScript as it grows, right? So the issue isn't that React is big, although you know it'd be nicer if it'd be a little smaller, but really that's, that's really be besides the point. The real issue is that the application grows linearly with the complexity, right? And the end result is that all of that stuff ends up with huge JavaScript bundle sizes. So with this as a background, Our mission here is to figure out how not to send all of the JavaScript all at once. And the reason we have to send all of the JavaScript all at once is because, remember, React and all other frameworks, React is not special in this department, have to traverse the component graph, right? The tree starting from the root all the way to the children to kind of figure out what in the world is this application doing? And this traversal requires that the JavaScript be present, so, and this traversal uh, is there because of hydration or clients that are rendering or whatever you have to, or, or the boot up process of the framework. It doesn't matter what you want to call it. It's, it's, it's just how the framework kind of figures out what to do. And as long as we have um, hydration, we have to basically ship all of the components that are currently visible in the render tree. If the component is visible in the render tree, we have to ship it.
0: So yeah, up until now, uh, we spoke about the mental model of the problem that we have now, which, uh, you know, the hydration and all the components that are being rendered and to the user in one go. And basically the user gets everything in one time before he actually needs it. Uh, and that results in a slow page uh, render because you get a lot of, uh, you know, JavaScript and one being junk um and that is where we are stayed now um and you know understanding where we are at uh, is has been important and, and and that's where we are you know how we came today and you know what i was curious to hear um uh, mishko from you is you know so given all those you know issues and everything where do you see then um you know quick fitting in i almost said quick js but i stopped myself <laughs> so
1: yeah so quick has a new thing called reasonability and the idea behind reasonability is can the framework uh run or execute or reason about the application without the application being present What do I mean by that, right? So in order for a framework to kind of reason about the system, the framework needs to be able to know where the component boundaries are. It needs to know where the bindings are. It needs to know where the uh, event listeners are. It needs to know um, what the reactivity graph is, right? And so that represents a um, kind of the the behavior of the framework, right? And so the question is, can we have this without the framework actually um, having to fully execute all of the javascript code and so the advantage of resumability or the the magic behind resumability is that we figured out how to do that right so so basically what happens is that the framework uh, can boot up so to speak and this boot up process is extremely fast you know a um, few milliseconds kind of a thing and it's a constant speed because it doesn't matter how big your application gets the framework can boot up and run without your application being present. Now, what do I mean by without the application being present? Which is that if you think about um, the hydration step, the hydration step needs to execute because it's recovering the state of the system. It's telling the framework where the listeners are, it's telling the framework what the state is, it's telling the framework all that information. And if you think about it, well, the framework had all that information at the server, right? When we did server-side pre-rendering, All of that information was present. The framework understood this. But when we serialized into HTML, all that information got lost. So Quick knows how to serialize that information so that when you get to the client, uh, the framework can now run without any sort of JavaScript being present. What I mean by run is that the framework can reason about the application. It knows where the component boundaries are. It knows where the listeners are. It knows that if I click here, I have to go update that. It doesn't know what to do, right? That requires JavaScript, but it can have kind of a mental model of the system. And so the big difference is, imagine Amazon uh, page with a product uh, with something that's with reasonability, What you get is the, the, the framework boots up and it's up and running without any sort of JavaScript being present. Uh, What I mean by any sort of JavaScript, any application JavaScript being present. And now you go and you click on the buy button, let's say. And so the framework now says, okay, you clicked on the buy button. I don't know what to do. I know there's a listener. I just don't know what to do yet. So I'm going to go fetch the buy button uh, code. And we'll talk about prefetching and how that is done so that it's not slow. But fundamentally, the way to think about it is, um, you know, you click on a buy button. The framework says, I just need the code for the buy button. I don't need the parent component. I don't need the child component. I don't need anything else on the page. I literally just want to know what should happen behind this buy button. In other words, I just need the listener code associated with this buy button. And so we can go and fetch that. And obviously, the listener is way, way, way smaller than the whole application. And so now the listener executes, and the listener goes and modifies some state of the shopping cart. And so the next thing the framework needs to know is says like, aha, you modified the state of the, uh, the, the JavaScript. Therefore, I need to go and update some other components. And this is where uh, systems like React and Angular uh, kind of fall short. Systems that are coarse grain reactive fall short because the answer is, well, go find where the state is, which is usually some top-level component, and start re-rendering from there which pretty much means like re-render the whole application. And so the difference here is that Quick is fine-grained reactive. And so the Quick knows that, oh, you modified the, the, the state of the shopping cart. Therefore, I know that I have to go re-render the shopping cart, not the menu, not anything else in the application, just the shopping cart. And of course, I don't have the source codes for the shopping cart. So I'm going to go and fetch the source code associated with shopping cart. And then I'm just going to rerun that particular uh, item. And so the nice thing about this is that when the shopping cart re-renders, it doesn't have to re-render the parent components or the children components, right? So the amount of JavaScript, the amount of application JavaScript that got sent to the client is drastically reduced. Like huge swaths of JavaScript has just been removed from this particular problem space, right? But in order for this to work, the framework needs to be able to reason about the application. What I mean by reason is is the framework needs to be able to say, like, I know where the listeners are. I know that this is a click listener. I know the relationship between this state of the system and those components that are interested in the state of the system and so on. And all of that information needs to be serialized into the HTML in such a way that the framework can, you know, when the framework starts up, it can recover all this information without any application JavaScript being present.
0: Amazing, amazing introduction. I think that I have a bunch of questions, yeah. um, but I'm gonna try to uh, to take them step by step. And before I do that, let's make sure that I understand where what you are saying to us and to me. So you're saying, um, hey, we have QuickJS right now, uh, which what it does it takes uh, the bare minimal that you need to 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 have the framework running, but without the application code being there. Correct. So that's that. So you still have quick running JavaScript like being downloaded initial one just to have the bare bones of the framework, and then the rest of your app code is gone. It's actually it's not yet there. It's actually
1: even more drastic. Um, the only thing we initially need is this thing called the quick loader. And quick loader is about a kilobyte in size. And it takes about, you know, on a desktop, it takes about a millisecond to execute. On a mobile, it takes maybe 10 milliseconds to execute. Basically nothing, right? So the quick loader is the only code that has to be downloaded. And the quick loader then goes and downloads the rest of the application as needed and on demand. And that may include the framework itself, so, uh, if you, for example, create a create a quick uh, create a listener on a on a button, and all the listener does is just says console log or alert, and then in that particular case, not even the framework gets downloaded, because um, you know you can look at it and be like, you don't need the framework for that. Just do console log and call it a day. All right? The framework really only comes into play when. Uh, you start inside of your listener, you start talking about the state of the system. Because, you know, console log isn't very useful. You probably want to do something like, you know, shopping cart dot quantity plus plus, right? Or something like that, right? And in that case, um, you need the state of the system to be present. And so now the framework has to be downloaded. So it really, even the framework itself, in many cases, might not be downloaded. And the thing to understand is that if you look at a page like, uh, Amazon, um, you know, uh, product page. There's a lot of stuff in there on the page, but you can really only interact with one thing at a time, right? You can't interact with the whole page all at once. That's just not a thing that can't be done. Well, I, I just don't even think they can. Like, how would you even do that? Like, how would you click on all the things at once, right? That doesn't work, right? Like really you, you're just clicking at one thing at a time. And so the, the beauty is that if you're interacting with the menu system, fine, we'll download the menu system oh, we don't need to download the shopping cart then. Oh, you're interacting with the comment section? Great, we'll we'll download the comment section, but then you don't need the menu system, right? And so what you realize is that the amount of JavaScript that gets sent to the client is really proportional to the complexity of the interaction, not to the complexity of the whole page. So it doesn't matter how complicated your page gets. Um, The amount of JavaScript is going to stay relatively little. Um, depending what you do. So I, was
0: the, I wanted to mention that it's interesting that you're saying also, you know, you're saying there is quick framework and then there's quick loader and there's also there quick other city. Quick, quick city? Okay, so then you um, you split those things up and yeah. quick note about why and uh, like the reason, like the idea behind it. The-
1: yeah, so quick loader is just this super tiny amount of JavaScript that, that kind of sets everything up. Uh, There is no equivalent to other frameworks. Other frameworks don't have this. So that's kind of unique for quick. Um, Then you need to have the quick itself. So that's kind of like react. So quick is to, it's kind of like react, right? And a quick city is the meta framework for it. So quick city would be like Next.js or uh, Remix, something like that, right? And so the meta framework part gets handled by the quick city. Uh, The quick itself is kind of the rendering And then the quick loader is just this tiny amount of JavaScript that we include on the page to kind of get everything going. It's kind of the bootloader, so to speak.
0: So you can ideally use um, them independently of another? Uh, In theory,
1: yes. I mean, uh, we provide this all as a package. And the nice thing about it is that you know, everything is automatic. You don't have to think about it. You just go and build your page. And then if your page requires no JavaScript and no JavaScript gets sent, and the moment you decide that you need a JavaScript, you know, the framework is like, okay, well, in this case, I will send you a quick loader and I will break up your application so that the minimal thing that you need is there. And I will just send that piece inside. And so one of the hard things about this, this thing that I've just described is breaking up the application into many, many chunks and turns out that most systems have a really hard time with this. Um, in the React, for example, if you want to lazy load something, it is not automatic. Like It's a huge amount of work for you. First of all, you have to take the code, move it to a separate file. Then you have to refer to the file through a dynamic import. Then you have to take the dynamic import and wrap it in the lazy. That gives you a suspense component. right? And that suspense component can then be used inside of your uh, code. So... That's a lot of work, right? And and at the end of the day, I'm going to argue it probably won't help you because if the suspense component is visible on a page, then the hydration will force you to download it eagerly and execute it. Right? And so suspense is really only useful for components that are currently not in the render tree. So, like a route change, right? Those components can be lazy loaded. That's that's perfectly fine. Uh, but the components that are currently in the render tree, those kind of have to get downloaded. And there's tricks people do, like delayed hydration, and you know this and that. But nothing really compares to resumability, because resumability just takes it to an absolute extreme. So, for example um in react even if you have suspense and delayed hydration and whatever you have you will be forced to start rendering from the root because a component like let's say a shopping cart shopping cart has props where do these props come from well from the parent component how do i get it by executing the parent component does? but the parent component has props where do those components come from right from the parent component and all the way we go all the way down to root so so you can't just go and render a shopping cart in in React. And again, I'm not picking on React. This is true for all the frameworks, right? You just mentioned that you're a big React fan, so I... Talking about it, React as the as the trying the-
0: not to be a fan because framework change and things uh, and things progress, but I've been using I am using React with work and it's a main, the main the thing. But no, but that's good because a lot of people I think are familiar with it, yes, uh, and and understand the you know the the mental model there. Uh, right. So that's a good good thing to to to. To cover, and you know what I really like that you said, like um, for example, that if you need to re-render, uh, you know, a certain thing in your components, it's not gonna re-render the parent; it's just gonna render the, the thing that you need. And it's like you're doing the so memoization in React. If I say uh, in React, then you're doing it for me without me saying like uh, use memo, right? You don't you don't need to do like those things manually and think about them because the framework does that for you. But uh, but it's more than that because even if I automatically inserted use memo or
1: everything in the in the in the React application, the, there's the problem still exists that at least once the whole thing has to execute at least once, then it can be clever. But at least once it has to execute, and by that point. You kind of lost the battle because it means that the JavaScript had to be downloaded and executed, and so game over. Like you have a slow application startup.
0: Hey, th- this this is like really uh, I think game changer, and uh, and also in a way that you think about in general applications and how you build them, and you know speaking to you um and also understanding like uh, a little bit more um what the framework is and what it does and and where it's like all kind of bundled up to where we are at today i'd like to hear from you what what was really like the, the 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 place where it all started like did you just wake up one day and said resumability <laughs> boom let's go or was there like more background story behind it and i'm curious to hear about it.
1: There's the background story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first of all, there is a talk. So I think 2019, which is quite a long time now, I got up in stage in, in ng-conf uh, and I, was, I had a keynote. And in the keynote, I basically said, you know, what would it take to have super fast applications? And I went through and basically described essentially this, resumability. And I told it to the world and be like, you want to have fast apps? This is how you do it. And then nobody did anything about it for many, many years. And so it was kind of like nagging at me. And I was like, ah, I should try to do this thing. Now, Google has a separate framework called Wiz. It's an internal framework uh, that you have never heard of, but you use it every day. Wiz is what powers Google search. It is what powers um, Google Photos and many other of their products. And one thing that can be said about Google search, that thing is fast. As a matter of fact, it is impossible in Google search to get into the situation where you want to interact with the page before the page is ready. That's just not a thing that you can get into, right? And that's kind of shocking. And uh, people will say like, well, but search is easy. It's just a bunch of things. It's like, ah, wait, did you type a formula into Google search? A freaking uh, uh, graph shows up. You know, if you try to do currency conversions or math, a calculator shows up. If you look for movies, a movie shows up. There is a lot of complexity in that thing that. Uh, You know, it may look like a simple thing at a first glance, but it's actually super, super complicated. That can do many, many, many things. And it is just completely unrealistic for Google to go and send all of the JavaScript for all of the different possible use cases all up front. That's just not a thing that they can do because it will be horribly slow. But it is what we do in our everyday world with our current set of technologies in terms of current set of frameworks. And so this is where Well, I mean, Wiz is very unique in that uh, it was uh, designed from ground up to be as fast as possible. Like that was its goal. And I think it succeeded in it. Um, And, you know, Wiz was definitely inspiration for Quick because I saw that like, hey, it's possible to do it differently. It's possible to have this unbelievable performance. It's possible not to send all of the JavaScript up front. Uh, But Wiz is super old and, you know, it was built before all the fancy new technologies we have today, like dynamic imports and all kinds of other things. And so the DX for Wiz is not something you would like. It is quite difficult to work with Wiz, uh, but it has unbelievable performance. And so the question for me was like, can we have both? Can we have a beautiful DX and unbelievable performance? Right. And this is what was the, the kind of the, the starting point for Quick. And, you know, Quick has gone through many iterations before it kind of settled to where it is. Uh, and the the DX for Quick was also pretty atrocious at the beginning. Uh, but we've slowly been chipping at it and chipping at it and chipping at it. And we are actually very, very proud of the DX we have today. And we kind of modeled it on the React world. So if you're familiar with React and you look at, a quick code, you're going to be like, yeah, that looks just like, you know, quick, like it's very, 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 few differences uh, that I see. I'm quite familiar with it. I know how to use it. Uh, it seems natural. And this is kind of intentional because, um, you know, we didn't want to invent yet another paradigm, yet another way of doing something. We just want to say like, look, this is popular. Let's just use this. But we want to completely change the way it actually works underneath, and so this is actually kind of a double-edged sword because people come to Quick, they look at it and they're like, oh, it looks like, just like React. Uh, I don't care. And they leave. And they kind of miss the point of why all of this stuff is happening and what is the benefit for the page. So one of the things I like to talk about is... Um, You know, there is this call, there's this website called Taste.js where you can choose different uh, implementation of the same exact application and you can kind of compare for yourself to see which one you like the best. And they have this thing called Movies app. And this movie app is implemented in all the major frameworks, including Quick. And we did a blog post recently comparing the kind of the performance. And the answer is very simple, which is, you know, um, whoever produces least amount of JavaScript is the fastest framework. It really comes down to that, right? Uh, There's no, no surprises there. But what I found interesting is that we published this blog post and every framework came up and started saying like, oh, that's a bad implementation. The developer hasn't done this. They didn't do this optimization. I didn't do that optimization. And, you know, if only they did this other thing, then it would have been faster. And it made me realize an important point, which is developers do things that are easy because they're under time pressure. And the problem is in most frameworks, the easy isn't the performant way. And the performant way is actually kind of complicated because it requires things like inserting suspense, which means moving your code around. And not even not always the suspense actually helps and, and so on and so forth. Like we kind of talked about it, right? And so it isn't obvious how to necessarily get these performance improvements in most frameworks. And it's a lot of work that frankly, most people just don't have time for. And so the big realization we have is that quick the easy path or the obvious path for the developer to do is also the performant path. And I think that's, that's kind of unique uh, in this world. Uh, quick, the, the the quick implementation of movie app actually wasn't done by us. It was some volunteer, uh, you know, that was like, Oh, let me go implement one for, for, uh, for movies over there. And we gave them no instructions as to what to do or how to make it performant or anything. They just like, you know, took the React version and you know, kept hacking at it until it turned it into a quick version. And um yeah, it it is performant out of the box without any sort of effort and without any sort of special understanding, et cetera, on the side of the developer. And I think that's the that's the powerful thing. And this is, I think, where the industry is heading, is that we need to have uh, fine-grained reactivity and we need to have tools where the easy thing is the right thing. And we are not there yet because in most tools, the easy thing is not the right thing for in terms of performance.
0: Right. And, you know, so basically you're saying um, that in the current frameworks that we have, everything that we're doing is as a developer, you're under time pressure, you have your project deadline, you need to get shit shipped on time. Uh, and you don't have time to think about, you know, too much about performance and about when to use what. You just want to use the framework as you know it and go ahead at it. Uh, and currently, um, most of the frameworks, they failed in, in in that perspective to make it accessible to uh, how, you know, things uh, work with performance wise and everything to make it fast when you ship it and in the easiest way and there you're saying we have the the solution where you do you and we do us and everything that you do is going to be by itself scalable and fast and well scalable depending on your architecture of course but at least the fast part you got it and so that is that is yes. that is in a very um you know uh, interesting thing and i was also wa- wondering um uh, misco what are the um you know tools that you currently give to developers when they want to move uh, their project to quick so let's say i have this you know big application already written in react um and what kind of things uh, you are supporting uh, to make it easier for them to migrate
1: yeah, so let's talk about that. Actually, before I uh, talk about that, let me just give one more point. And that is, you know, if you look at a React application, right? And you build an application, it becomes slow. Then the experts come out and say like, well, you forgot to use use memo. You forgot to lazy load. You forgot to whatever, right? And that's kind of my point. Like I shouldn't have to do any of this stuff. I should just write my application and it should just work in a performant manner. And that is kind of the point of Quick. And the problem is, That if you build a hello world, these are not the problems you're going to run into, right? And so when people build a simple hello world, they're like, ah, it's the same thing. I don't see a difference. It's only once the application gets humongous and big. And, you know, there's hundreds of engineers working on this where you're like, oh, crap, this thing doesn't perform. And I don't know what to do about it. And you're kind of down in the rabbit hole. Okay, so let's talk about um, migration story. I think we have a pretty good migration story. We have two things. Uh, first of all, it is surprisingly easy to take React code and convert it to a quick code. Um, you know, few things have to change. Like instead of set state, you have to do use, uh, sorry, instead of use state, you have to do use signal or use uh, store. Um You have to wrap the components in this thing called, the function called component dollar sign. Um, You have to, any kind of listener like on click can, it has to say on click dollar sign. A few few additional things, dollar sign by the way is a quick way of saying lazy load this. So every time you see a dollar sign, you should be thinking to yourself like, oh, this thing gets lazy loaded. (laughs) Um, And so this is actually surprisingly easy and you can just convert the components that way. But we have something better. And that is, we can take React components and we can wrap them inside of this thing called we call a Quickify, and that actually takes the component as is and makes it embeddable inside of a Quick application. Now, the quick the, the React component won't get the magic of Quick, right? It will still be a React component, but Quick can uh, delay, hydrate the component. For example, you can say like, oh, this component only gets hydrated uh, on a mouse hover. And so you are still winning because the component is visible. It's, it was server-side rendered because React has SSR. And you can, um, you see it. And then when you try to click on it, it's at that time that we download the code and um, hydrate it. And again, I talk about lazy uh, loading the code, but keep in mind, Quick has a very extensive system for prefetching and loading stuff to make sure that when you're ready to load the code, the code is already in the cache. Uh, we haven't talked about it, but like, uh, you know, number one thing people say is like, oh, what if I'm in the tunnel and I lost the connection? Does that mean my application doesn't work? No, the application gets cached and gets preloaded. All kinds of things happen in the background. Uh, so that's not, not an issue. And so Quickify allows you to take React components and uh, gives you basically turns them into islands, kind of like Astro, uh, but in a much nicer way because you, these. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that. You know, actually, Astro this is where I- doesn't have. Uh, when you want to do inter-island communication in astro, you cannot use react primitives. You have to use astro primitives because it's a different thing. So again, this is the same problem of having multiple mental models. And of course, that's, that's painful, right? And so the nice thing about Quickify is that you the, the inter-react component communication, because these react components got turned into quick components, uh, it's just a standard quick mental model. So nothing new to learn about, you know, inter-react communication. Uh, It's just normally the way you would do everything else. So things like listeners work, things like setting the state, mutating the state, getting things updated, at the right moment. All of that stuff just kind of works without any sort of effort. Um, So I think that's a pretty good story. And it really allows you to take... Um, you know, your pages and convert them into quick and then have, um, you know, still not be forced to convert the whole application all at once. You can just say like, okay, these are older React components and I don't think it's worth converting them, whatever. But you can still get the benefits of lazy hydration for these components um, and, you know, on other things. Uh, We have one for React. We have one for Vue, I believe. I want to say somebody wrote one for Svalt. The React one is by far the most uh, supported one because it's done by the core team. Um, But in theory, this could be done for any framework that's out there.
0: Okay, so that that's great news, I guess, for people who want to kind of take it step by step and migrate their applications. Um, and as you go, you can grow in in becoming, you know, full Quick, um, framework uh, using it and everything together. Um, and um, you know, one of the things that I was wondering as well is, do you feel like Quick today can handle production ready applications, and uh, can it, um? Yeah, can it just go ahead and 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 run Amazon or any other uh you know big uh, things?
1: Yeah, so it depends what you mean by production ready. Like in terms of code quality and API stability, uh, we think we are totally there. We already have several sites up in production. Um, the area which we're still polishing are, for example, oh, I want to integrate with the third party whatever. Uh you might find that you will run into like surprises. And so these surprises are... Um um stuff that we're kind of working on and kind of want to polish so basically the 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 issues you would run into are not around the quality of the system actually running and being able to handle the the stuff it's more like oh i want to integrate uh something and it's not working quite as well as i would expect right and so you know some weird corner case needs to be polished etc so so you would um If you wanted to use it today, I highly recommend to give it a try. And, you know, if you run into issues, let us know so that we can fix them. And that's primarily where we are today. Now, we didn't get to talk about other things like quick City. uh, but we have, you know, a full story, not just for the, 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 the rendering, but also for, um, file-based routing, getting data from the server to the client, from the client back to the server, um, basically all the things that you would expect from a modern framework to have that are all in there in a, some pretty unique, uh, developer experiences, because, um, you know, quick enable certain things that the other frameworks don't have in terms of lazy loading, etc. And I think it, it, it has a very compelling story, but we just haven't had a yeah. time to get into well, it. Well,
0: I'm pretty sure that uh, all those interesting things, first of all, are documented uh, well in your, um, you know, in your, in yes, your page uh, and all the links will be attached in this, this, uh, in this episode. Um, so no worries about that. Uh, and you know, if we got it again and then we have a lot of interactions, there is no, <laughs> nobody saying us no to do another session. Um, so first of all, Misko, I would like to really thank you so much uh, for joining me to this episode. Uh, we understood a little bit more about the background story of what uh, came to Alive as known today as Quick. Um, we also a little bit learned uh, what we have uh, today in this stage um, in our modern uh, browser stack, and also what was before that, uh, even when I was before I was born, uh, and also we talked a little bit more about the future of uh, of the web and where we see yesterday with hydration versus uh, whatever we're doing in Quick uh, and all this magic, and so. Anything else that you would like to say to the audience before we send them off?
1: Yeah, so you know we really talked about just quick, but I also uh, want to talk about that we have other technologies like Party Town. Party Town is a way of taking your third-party code like Google Analytics, Facebook Pixel, HubSpot, etc., and moving it into the web worker. Right? Again, uh, what I said earlier is that the fastest site is the site that ships the least amount of JavaScript. So shipping the JavaScript off the main thread into the web worker actually helps with this as well. So party Town technology is there. And of course, you know, check out uh, the visual CMS system that we have. If you have a site where your marketing people are always bugging you about, you know, updating things and A-B testing and so on and so forth, uh, you can make your life way, way easier just by installing uh, the Builder. Uh, it's just a component that you include inside your application, and that component becomes both the rendering component as well as the drag and drop editor for your marketing team to easily update the site.
0: Thank you for listening to the Daniel Frey Me Docs. Get access to previous episodes, the transcript for today's show, as well as other exclusive content at Daniel